In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is the camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into the camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. That's Jesse Temple from The Athletic. We are back. Plenty to get to, actually. A ton to get to. We've got a couple practices to look back on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We got a chance to talk with the quarterbacks and offensive coordinator Phil Longo on Wednesday and also a new commit in uh, linebacker Landon Galthier from Bayport High School up in the Green Bay area. So lots to get to here in the show, but let's uh, let's start with Thursday morning because I, I know I was able to break down a little bit of what happened on Tuesday, but Thursday morning we got uh, some more 11 on 11, not nearly as much as I think we would always like more, but... There were some good pro. There were some good plays. There were some good defensive plays. Uh, but what was uh, the thing that, that that stood out for you today? I think just Wisconsin trying to mix up some rotations offensively, and we've seen some new defensive looks too. This was probably, I would say, the least amount of full eleven on eleven teamwork we've seen in some time during the spring. Um, usually, they save the big stuff. I think for Saturday when they they go really hard, but. Uh, you know, we saw a different offensive line rotation. I don't know that that should lead the show, but maybe that gives you an indication of what Thursday's practice was like. Um, but <laughs> but um, what are your thoughts on, on your big takeaways? Well, I mean, I, I think that there were several guys that stood out that made plays, right? So uh, let's start on the offensive side. It wasn't like, so Tuesday, I didn't think Tanner Mordecai had his best day. Right. So I didn't I didn't think it was that great after what we had talked about for five straight practices where he had been so consistent. I didn't think it was great. I thought it was a defensive heavy day. We saw some interceptions. We saw, you know, some really good plays from different members of the secondary. Austin Brown and Kamoi Latu and Hunter Wohler and Ricardo Hallman and Alexander Smith. Like so they it was kind of a defensive day on Tuesday. I thought the offense bounced back a little bit today. There were some really nice throws from Tanner. I thought Will Pauling had the catch of the day from Braden Locke towards the end of uh, practice, uh, somehow held on to a ball that I, and you you mentioned it as soon as it almost happened. It'll likely be on social media at some point, uh, and you would probably think quickly it would be on there. Yeah, so though, that that stood out to me. Uh, Skylar Bell heavily involved uh, defensively. Kamoi Latu everywhere, um, blowing up plays left and right. I thought Jordan Turner had a really nice day. So I don't know if there was anything, like a big plays that stood out, stood out that we've had throughout spring, but it, it was a interesting day, just not yeah. as interesting as some of the days we've seen. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I'm always looking at if it's not big plays, then it's combinations. Um, you know, we saw Jonas Duclona and um, Jace Arnold getting a lot of the two reps at cornerback. And those are two early enrollees that have made plays. And so for me, it's who's going to maybe work their way into the rotation people that, Fans haven't necessarily seen, but could be participating significantly. And we also saw the second team wide receivers getting a lot more looks with Tanner Mordecai. And so it was just a, it was a rotation, but we haven't necessarily seen that. It was the ones going with the ones and the twos going with the twos, but that second group, which consists of CJ Williams and Quincy Burroughs has been on the outside and Skylar Bell in the slot, got a lot of one reps and Bell was making a bunch of plays over the middle. It seems like they really have a heavy emphasis on utilizing their slot receiver um, and getting him in space um, across the middle of the field and allowing them to, as Phil Longo would say, go be athletes. So 
it's a lot of those little things, or even a, a Jake Cheney working in the three linebacker set with Jordan Turner and Mumajong Meta, which I'm sure you talked about on Tuesday. We saw more of that on Thursday. Those are the types of things that uh, I noticed on Thursday. Yeah. So have we gone far enough so that we can mention the offensive line or is it still yeah, too sure. early in the show? I, okay. I, th- all right. I think that's reasonable. It's Wisconsin. Okay. So it's got to okay. be up near right. the front. Put it in the yeah. A block. Yeah. All right. So obviously since uh, Jake Renfro went out with the injury, Tanner Bordellini has been the starting center and, Oh, Hey, not, I didn't see, I think I saw one, maybe, maybe poor snap, but I didn't, there were the, the snaps were not an issue today. So that's definitely a, a work in progress. Um, actually saw those guys, so when we were talking to the quarterbacks, a bunch, uh, a number of the centers, I think all of the ones that are healthy right now were in the McLean Center off to the side, like working on some snapping. So I, I think they understand the importance of it, right? But yes, the offensive line. So it's been Tanner Bordellini at center and Trey Wedig at left guard. Today, Trey Wedig was back with the second team offense at right tackle. And Joe Huber, the transfer from Cincinnati, was in there at left guard. He's a guy that is versatile. We've seen him at We've seen him at guard. He played tackle at Cincinnati last year, and now he was at center. He was the second team center for a large majority of these, these last couple of weeks, and now working with the first team at left guard. He's just one of those guys that you kind of want to get on the field and uh, see what he can do because he is that versatile. He is he's essentially the Tanner. He was the Tanner Bordellini of uh, Cincinnati, right? I mean, outside of the fact that he was a former walk on. Yeah, I know he started all thirteen games at right tackle last season, but. Um... He's certainly one of the most versatile guys on on this offensive line. And I'm interested to see what happens when Jake Renfro does come back. Now, obviously, he's out for an extended period of time. We may not see him again this spring, given that there's only two weeks left. But when he's healthy, um, is he absolutely the number one center? Do they feel so comfortable with Tanner Bordellini and think that they've got better options at guard with, with Joe Huber? But Huber's absolutely going to have a role. We know from when we talked to Jack McNell Jr. that he wants to have seven, eight guys available given the pace of play. And so I thought that was definitely notable as well. And I mean, I've really been impressed with Michael Fertney, the way he's been able to hold on to the right guard spot, because when we went into the spring, I think the assumption was, okay, well, if there's going to be a change up, someone's going to beat out Fertney because it's felt like before he's held on to a role and then got passed or wasn't a consistent starter. And, and he's, He's just been doing his due diligence every day and no one's really come up to take that spot, but there are obviously a lot of great options on the offensive line and it's a good problem to have. It is. They're going to, again, it's about finding your best five and all that good stuff. I don't think that we're anywhere close to finding out what that final thing is going to be. I think the only thing that we can say for sure right now is that Jack Nelson's going to be your left tackle. And I think that's the only guarantee at this point, in my opinion. I know, uh, and I, and Tanner Bordellini somewhere is going to be on, on the first team. I think those are the only thing that I'm willing to sit here and say that's a that's a guarantee. I think Riley Malman likely is going to be your right tackle. Like I feel solid about that, but you never know, right? Like if you're working Trey Weta get right tackle, maybe it's a spot where you think maybe he can push a Riley Malman. I don't know that, but uh, the only thing I'm willing to say, sit here and say that's guaranteed to happen this fall is that Jack Nelson's your left tackle and Tanner Bordellini somewhere will be in there. But you're right. Michael Fertney's held on to that spot. He's been the right guard the entire spring, and Riley Mullen's been the right tackle the entire spring. Um, really, the only changes have come at center and left guard, and at least some of that is due to injury. So we'll see. I think it's still a work in progress. Still a work in progress, as is the defense. We heard from Luke Fickle after practice today because uh, – 
I had some questions and I think you had some questions too about what they were doing with Jake Cheney in the dollar package, right? So we saw in the dollar package for the first time on Tuesday, Jake Cheney in there where Hunter Wohler had been essentially hybrid linebacker safety spot where he could do a bunch of different stuff from. We had, we talked about that earlier uh, in spring and this time it was Jake Cheney in there and we were wondering, well, maybe does it have something to do with Travion Blaylock being out? You know, because then you just move Hunter Waller back into that safety spot. And I think I, I personally think that it kind of did. It does um, mm-hmm. because Luke Figgle was talking about getting their best 11 on the field. And when Trevion Blaylock is healthy, he's one of their best 11. And so you want and, and obviously Hunter Waller is. So you want to get them on the field together because I think he was asked about the three safeties thing and having three safeties on the field and um, how important that was. And he was kind of, I want to say, knock that down. He just said, what do you want our best 11 on the field? And when Trayvon Blaylock is healthy, he's one of our best 11. And when he's not, well, then we want to get Jake Cheney on the field because he, he, he is. So I think that's at least notable, right? Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense. And I, I like that this, I like the staff's willingness to try some different things because we, I would not have envisioned them having three guys line inside linebackers on the field, but at the same time, I put this in the practice report on Tuesday. I went back and looked at what Mike Trussell said when he was asked specifically about Cheney earlier in the spring. And he said, he is a one, like in terms of a, a first team guy. And, and Trussell said, you may, you may be asking, well, how is that possible? And there are only two guys that can be on the field, but he is absolutely a one. I like the things that he can do. He can get off to the quarterback. Obviously we see he's able to drop two into coverage and, so when you've got a one or someone that you consider to be of starter quality, why not put them out there? And they don't lose anything. It's a little bit different dynamic, but you've got Hunter Wohler playing on the back end with Kamoe Latu, and you're still covering all your bases with quality players and pieces on the field. Yes, for sure. And Kamoe Latu had a day today. He's had back-to-back days. I, mm-hmm. He's one of their best 11. He's get, he's going to play a ton uh, Travion, when healthy, Travion Blaylock's going to play a ton. He's currently wearing a yellow no contact jersey um, uh, with a with an illness right now. Even though he's able to be out there, so uh, do your own investigating on what it potentially could be and, and get back to us. Um, have you dug? You haven't dug into that, no? All right, cool. But there the, there were a number of guys right now that are that are out with um, yellow con- no contact jerseys on that aren't taking part. CJ gets. Uh, as well. So a couple of guys that you would think would be on the field are not on there. Do you think that's who he's talking about when, because he said at practice today that there were too many guys. What was it? There were too many guys that, that didn't make it to practice today or, um, or guys that were dinged up that was he saying that they didn't push through it? Well, he was talking, this is what he said, as I'm looking at it right now, we, we've got too many guys maybe that didn't make practice today or too many guys that are dinged up. You've got to find ways to be able to get out here and go and practice nine. Everybody's going to be a little bit hurt. So I think those are some areas where we know we've got to continue to grow because you can't put all the pressure on just these ones and twos. And we can't go at the pace we want to go at if we don't have enough guys out there. So that is that is what Luke Fickle said after practice on Thursday. And I don't know. He said before when we asked him about Braylon Allen, for example, when he, he collided with Alexander Smith and missed a couple practices that there's a fine line between being hurt and being injured. Um, and look, Luke, Luke Fickle, tough guy, <laughs> obviously football player, understands what it is to push through, but you can't force somebody if they're injured. I think it's just where is the line and can somebody go? And if you can't go, obviously Luke and his staff are trying to evaluate everybody and 
have the best practice that uh, the team can have. So that's where they're at. But there are certainly, as practices stack up, this happens everywhere, happens every year, always happens at Wisconsin. More guys are going to show up on that dinged up or injured list. Yeah, certainly. Some guys got some extra conditioning today too. Having to do uh, having to do a lap. Um, we've had some of these instances before. We saw it with C.J. Williams earlier in camp. Uh, we saw it with um, one of the offensive linemen uh, early in camp or earlier in spring, I should say. And that is coming to blows where punches are thrown, and it and it leads to guys having to do laps. And in this case, today it was Will Pauling and uh, Jason Matry and. There were there were some blows thrown in that. I don't. We didn't see the beginning of it, uh, but uh, him and uh, the two were going at it. The two transfers going at it, and Luke Fickle was one of the first ones there to break it up and like tossed them both, like get going. And Will Pauling, I think he probably knew what was required of him in that situation because I'm assuming it's probably the same way at Cincinnati. You do a lap when you uh, when you get into fisticuffs and you start throwing blows, uh, and so he had to do a lap. And then uh, Jason Matry came over to the sideline and he was just standing there and, and someone came over him like, go. And you need, and he needs to do a lap. So they were going in opposite directions and we knew that they were going to meet at some point and the music was on. Right. So it's not like you hear exactly what, you, what was being said as they passed each other, but there was still some talking going on between those two as they passed each other. I was, I was expecting just like, you know, a little like knuckles or, you know, just like a little bit of a, not a high five or anything like that, but, there was nothing like that at all. I think it was still some trash talking going back and forth. All these guys are competitors. They've all got egos. They're going to get after each other. I'm sort of surprised that there haven't been more of these instances. You see this a lot, especially like second week of fall camp. People are so tired of going against the same people and they they get after it. But Luke Fickle addressed this too. And he was asked specifically about uh, CJ Williams having to take a lap or two in the previous weeks that he's, he wants to emphasize emotional toughness and not losing your cool and that no play or no situation is worth 15 yards. And that's what it's going to cost a team if something like this happens. Now it's, it's a little bit different in a game. Uh, you just, you don't see guys <laughs> dropping punches, which doesn't make any sense to me because everyone's wearing a helmet, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't make too much of it, but it is uh, adds a little bit excitement to a practice. And they're just going at it. That's kind of kind of what you'd expect. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, the thing is, you know, Will Pauling came back and made, as I said, mentioned earlier, maybe play of the day mm-hmm. with the catch that he had in the end zone over Will Ar- or, um, Will Arnett. Uh, Owen Arnett in the uh, in, in the corner of the end zone. Just an absolutely great, great play. Great play by Will Pauling and the entire offense went crazy and ran up to him and it was a it was a red zone period but it was a really really great catch by Will Pauling one of many that we've seen from him this year anything else you want to talk about again I know it wasn't an overly big day play wise for us to to see no nah, there wasn't too much I don't All I don't right. know how much there's worth it Nathaniel Vacos still in line to be your number one guy he uh they did a field goal portion early in practice and he took the first four including an extra point uh Vito Calvaruso did make an appearance good from 41. I swear it would have been good from 70. That's the joy. <laughs> That's the joy of watching Calvaruso. That is the joy of it. And you can be like, Hey, still get a little tipsy on that stuff. Mm-hmm. Still get a little, t- get a little tipsy. Say any, no, yeah, we won't get into any, uh, trying to compare it to anything, uh, alcohol wise, but you can get a little, t- you can still get a little tipsy on that, even though you know what potentially, 
uh, it would look like in a game when the pressure's on, uh, which is what we saw. And it didn't look good. Uh, all right, let's get into some of the stuff that the quarterbacks had to say yesterday and Phil Longo as well. You wrote about Tanner Mordecai and his, you know, why he's here and how he, you know, came along as a leader throughout this entire offseason and, and put himself at the at the head of the the team. And it, it was not something that just happened overnight. He said that he had to come in and learn about Wisconsin, learn about the traditions and learn about the culture before he could lead. And uh, he certainly understands it now. And I think he's taken over. He's not a like a boisterous guy, I don't think, by any stretch. But in talking to him yesterday, and that's the first time we've had a chance to talk to him, I think the confidence that he has is um, legit. And we covered a quarterback the last few years in, in Graham Mertz who always portrayed confidence, always portrayed it. I don't know if it always was the, what he portrayed was always exactly how he felt. He said all the right things. But Tanner Mordecai has done it, and Tanner Mordecai has done it at a, at a really high level in the AAC, and now he's wanted to come to the Big Ten and prove that he could get it done uh, in the Big Ten. And, you know, it's early and he hasn't played a game, but I've been impressed by him. And I, I the, the confidence with which he spoke, and he just kind of have a little bit of an, uh, I don't know, a feeling around him that uh, people kind of gravitate towards. Yeah, he's ex he's an extremely low-key guy for someone who's occupying such a high-profile position, and I think clearly that has served him well. And there is a tremendous amount of confidence within him, but it doesn't come across as cockiness, uh, at least to me. And uh, even when we were talking to him, he said he was asked what the where he hopes to take Wisconsin, and he just said win championships. And then he was asked a follow-up question later during the session about he was reminded that uh, – well, he was asked what he meant by that. And he said that he firmly believes Luke Fickle will win a national championship at Wisconsin. And then Mordecai was reminded that you've got one year to to do that for him. And he just he nodded his head and he said, that's right. But he said it with, it was so matter of fact, it was kind of awesome the way he answered it. Um, but yeah, I mean, in the first three months, and he's much more vocal, which he acknowledged to now than he was in January when he got here. But it was about putting in the work. And I think that's why the offseason workouts are so, so valuable, even more so in a year like this where there are 13 scholarship transfers coming in and entirely new coaching staff. But the, the thing I mentioned in my story um, was a piece that really stood out. I was talking to Grover Bordelotti, the walk-on running back, and they had to do one of the drills they had to do in the offseason was, so it would be the, the offense versus the defense because everything in the offseason was about competition. And two guys so two guys on offense would have to hold a plank which if, you, if you've ever done that sucks for like 30 <laughs> seconds they had to do it for like three minutes because the entire offense behind them had to bear crawl underneath or slither underneath whatever you could do to go underneath the plank and then those two guys would then go from being at the front of the line to the back and it was just kind of you do this all the way down the field and and grover is just i mean he's dying they're getting to the end of holding this plank and who's the other guy who's right next to him holding the plank, it's Tanner Mordecai. And Mordecai is constantly in his ear. Not in a rah-rah way, not in a showy way. Bordellini's the only, or Bordelotti. <laughs> Bordelotti's the only one who can hear him. He's just saying, let's go, we've got this. A couple more, let's finish. And the thing that Bordelotti said was, and you, natural leader is the, the two words that you will hear the most when uh, 
the topic of Tanner Mordecai comes up, but he says, you, you watch the things that Tanner does and it makes you want to go harder. And, and, um, you know, Grover Bordelotti said, I, I, that's a guy that I'll be like, okay, I'll throw my head in against a 250 pound linebacker for that guy, because I know that's the guy that'll bring us to a championship. And he just makes you feel like everything's going to be all right. And so I think that was an instance that really kind of highlighted the very quiet leadership that Mordecai has, but people saw it all throughout the offseason and multiple people, including Luke Fickle, have talked about those mat drills they did in the offseason where Mordecai was getting in there. If it was a rope tug of war, he wasn't just showing up as a quarterback. He was getting in there to battle and winning some of those battles. And I think that gave him even more credibility with the team. There's the on-field credibility of what he did as a two-year starter. And those numbers are great, but you also have to develop trust and respect from your teammates by showing you're willing to put in the work. And he's been as good as advertised, if not better in every area to, to this point. Um, and so, yeah, you don't, you don't win necessarily the, the game against Ohio state right now, but you're building those blocks to have an opportunity. And that's what it feels like Mordecai has been able to do. When well, he also stood out, what also stood out to the coaches, you kind of mentioned it right there and, and fickle mentioned it. And then Longo mentioned it as well as, he didn't just come in and assume things, right? Like he he's acted like the starter since day one, but he didn't just, just expect it. He just didn't like roll into it and expect to be respected or expect to be respected. Did I say that correctly? That doesn't yes. sound right, but I think I did. He did not expect to be respected just because of what he had done prior. And I, I think that definitely stands out to guys because, you, you know, we kind of talked about this before, you know, earning your credit as a leader, Russell Wilson came in and like three weeks, four weeks later, he was named a captain. He didn't have nearly as much time, but you could just tell based on his talent and the way that he acted, he was a natural leader. And like, that's just who he was going to be. And now some guys, if you're around that for maybe four or five years or maybe four or five months, it might get a little, it may get a little uh, tiresome. I don't feel like the way that Tanner Mordecai leads will rub on guys nearly as, as much as maybe somebody that is vocal and, and gets after it all the time and is always talking. Yeah. I think that's, that's my read on it too. And it's, it's natural, I think, to bring up Russell Wilson for a number of different reasons because Wisconsin has not brought in a quarterback this accomplished since Russell in 2011. I know they had Danny O'Brien in 2012 and he had done some good things at Maryland, but this is a proven guy who's a two-time semifinalist for the Davey O'Brien award and threw over for over 7,000 yards the last two years. It just expectations are understandably high, but this is someone who's been through all of this before. And he's also gone through a transfer. He, he spent his first three seasons at Oklahoma before then going to SMU, earning the respect of all those guys and showing all the things that he did in the last two years. So it's uh it's certainly an exciting time. Uh, and Wisconsin, I, when we look back at this and you look at all the transfer portal cycle and who went where this may end up being as big as any of them, given what he brings to this Wisconsin offense. All right. So I need to bring this up now. Uh, I had an awesome talk with uh, Casey Robach, who is the director of scouting for Wisconsin. Um, had an awesome talk with him. We'll be playing that interview next week. Uh, we, we talked about a lot. Ron Dayton and PJ Fleck were definitely brought up, but also, talking about the offense and what can be expected of the offense. Cause he uh, has a role in recruiting both or evaluating offensive linemen, defense linemen and quarterbacks. And he told me that they're, that they expect, they expect to have a 3000 yard passer 
and two 1,500-yard rushers. That seems like a lot, you know, to put up 3,000, put up 6,000 yards between three guys is a lot. Wisconsin, for, for reference, Wisconsin had 6,500 yards of offense in 2011. That's the best offense that Wisconsin's ever had. North Carolina last year had 6,400 uh, yards. I think it's I think it's an amazing goal, I think, but it's way out there. Do you think uh, so? And I was asked this morning about Russell Wilson's record for yards in a season, and it was what was it, thirty one hundred something, and touchdowns thirty three something. As we sit here on April thirteenth, do you think he's going to break Russell Wilson's single season records in any of any of those single season records? So Russell threw for three thousand one hundred seventy five yards during that one season at Wisconsin and he had the 33 touchdowns. I, I very hesitant to say, no, it's not going to happen because this is an entirely different offense from anything Wisconsin has ever run. And therefore the passing opportunities are going to be, are going to far outweigh anything we've seen. And I know that they're going to maintain the strong running game. They've got Braylon Allen and Chesma Lucy, but I don't think it's impossible. The The difference is where it's really hard to project is this is not the American athletic conference. The big 10 has some really damn good defenses. Um, you know, Tanner Mordecai two years ago set the single season school record at SMU with 39 touchdowns. Now he battled injuries last season, but he still threw 33, which would have tied Russell Wilson uh, in terms of what Wisconsin's single season program record is but he also had a nine touchdown game against houston i i don't see that happening against a big 10 team necessarily and that's that's my challenge here in trying to to gauge what what's possible but i mean i don't know is 50 50 too strong to say that it's, it's possible that he breaks at least one of those records um it just feels like anything's possible right and he even said and you know i he doesn't feel like there is a ceiling with this offense, which I thought was kind of interesting. I, I don't know. We haven't seen it in a game, but it just feels like it's it's a possibility that he will break one of those records, which I didn't think would ever be touched, but I also didn't think we'd see an air raid passing attack at Wisconsin. Yeah, so you, you have to look at Mordecai, but I think you also have to look at Longo and the success wherever he's been having yep. thrown the ball. Right. Yep. Whether it's at Ole Miss or North Carolina, almost all those guys are three thousand yard passers. So, I mean, in his final year at Ole Miss, they threw three hundred. They threw for three hundred forty six yards a game. You know, obviously Sam Howell and and Drake May are very good players, NFL type quarterbacks, and Tanner Mordecai is hoping to be that guy. But I think he's going to have the opportunity to um, yeah. to to break it. Sane he's going to do it or, or saying he's not going to do it. Like if I'm going to, if I'm going to say he's going to do it, it, just, I have to change my thinking about Wisconsin, right? I have to change my thinking of the last, most of the last 30 years of Wisconsin where the passing game is, is just not what you're relying on. And I don't necessarily, and I don't know if you're going to rely on either one or the other this year. I think they're going to be balanced, but it's got a chance. It's got a chance. The way that they, uh, the way that Phil Longo has passed it, wherever he's been, I think he's got a chance. He's got a chance. I, I guess I would go 
Okay. Just got to get it done. That, make, that makes me feel better about my 50-50 projection, which I don't consider to be hedging simply because uh, <laughs> it's, it feels like an even bet right now. How about that? And yeah. also, we should mention, I mean, the wide receivers play a significant role in this, and I've certainly been very impressed with what we've seen. We have not seen Bryson Green yet. He at least caught some passes, passes uh, from, from quarterbacks and routes on air. So, hey, that's more than we've seen so far when he's in the fray. I have to imagine he's going to be one of those top four or five, six wide receivers, but uh, there's a lot of talent at receiver. And when Wisconsin goes to its second team unit, I feel every bit as good with them out there as I do the first team guys. And I think that says an awful lot. And frankly, I don't know that I, I don't know that I can ever remember being able to say that uh, at Wisconsin in the time I've covered the program, which was Russell's first season in 2011. No, we, that was another thing that was asked about this morning is like the wide receiver group. I mean, you could sit because they never played this many guys. Yeah. So like you're getting you're getting more of it because you haven't seen it. So. I mean, in 2019, when you had Quintez and Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor and A.J. Taylor, that was as good of a foursome as Wisconsin's had. But they've never had six guys yes. or seven guys you could throw out there. Never, ever. Have they ever had that? Like, it, you can go back as far as you want. They've just, it just hasn't happened. Um, and it's so obviously in large part due to the fact that they've never run an offense like this where all those guys could potentially get playing time um, and a lot of it. But we, I, I remember having the conversations in 2019 is this the best wide receiver core they have? And actually, the, the conversations were 2018 because that's what you're going to have coming back with, with Quintez. And then obviously the situation with him and um, not having him in 2018, then you return in 2019 and have those four. And it was, it's a really good group, but it obviously was dominated by Quintess. I don't know that you're going to have that this year. Do you think you will? I don't. Um, I don't think you're going to have one guy get as many targets as like all the other guys combined because <laughs> right. there's so much more balance. Um, you know, I'm trying to remember now I, I had it in a story and I think Quintess got like 94 targets that year. And the second most targeted player was who was the tight end Ferguson? that year? Ferguson. Ferguson. And it was like 44 or something. It was something like crazy like that. And I just don't see that happening this year because look, if you want to defend them and try to take somebody away, they're, they're just going to find the other open guy. Um, they very clearly want to utilize their slot receivers. I think Pauling and Bell are going to have excellent seasons, but uh, you've got to defend on the outside and they've got legit downfield threats. And so um, I don't see one guy. Who catches twice the most balls as many targets? Well, right now I'm going to go Chimray DK. Um, I think it's going to be somebody you, in the slot. Yeah, you could be right. You could be right uh, because of how much. Maybe it's because I trust Chimray the most and have seen yep. him the most. Um, but it, you know, the way their offense has operated, they are really looking for those slot guys over the middle. And even if it's a six yard gain or an eight yard gain or something you're in you're in front of the chains instead of behind them and that puts you in a really good spot so i'm not opposed to that viewpoint at all i think i'm going with dk because he's your number one wide receiver or at least he was last year and we've seen what he's been able to do i just look at josh downs and what he did last year at north carolina or what he did the last couple of years in north carolina and you see some of the slot guys that they have I don't know if they have anybody at his level. I mean, he's going to probably be a first or second. He's probably going to be a second round pick, but they certainly favor that area of the field in this offense. And so I, 
And they're going to take deep shots. You're right. They are going to. And Keontes Lewis has the speed to get by you. And we saw a little bit of Vinny Anthony be able to do that tonight or today. It didn't result in catches because the, the, I think the ball from Braden, a Braden lock ball or two was uh, hung up a little bit too much. But they've got they've got some speed at different spots in this offense. that can get downfield. But the quickness in the slot is, uh, I think, where they're going to look. Those are, those are where your automatics are, aren't they? Yeah, that was another interesting point that Phil Longo had. And and by the way, and we were talking about this at practice on Thursday, it, what a joy, what a treat it is to talk to someone like Phil Longo who will explain the game to you, but will be totally honest with you about where everybody stands. Um, yep. But that is what he said, that he, he expects his quarterbacks to complete 100% of what he calls automatics. And those are short throws in the quick game. And they have been doing a ton of that stuff. And he talked about the screens, the slants, the hitches, and Tanner Mordecai has really excelled in that. But when that is a big part of your game, and I don't even think Chim Ray necessarily, a lot of his catches are going to be, okay, let's throw it 40 yards down the field. I mean, you can catch the ball in the, you know, for five yards or yeah. something and, and do some damage from there. But there, it does seem like a lot of the passing game is relying on that, those short throws in that quick game. And it has an opportunity to be extremely effective with this group. It definitely does. So you mentioned, him talking about uh, and being honest about his quarterbacks. Uh, we, yes. We've talked about Matt, uh, Mordecai. I haven't talked about the other guys. Uh, Braden Locke, far and away, the number two quarterback at this point. I, it's, as we've said throughout this thing, it's not a competition, uh, or it hasn't been a competition. What has been the reason for for Braden Locke's ability to grab onto that number two spot and not let go? Uh, another very interesting thing that Phil Longo addressed was how important it is for him as a, a coach to have guys out there who understand what they're doing, which sounds extremely simple, but he said that he has learned this over the years, that you, you, if you put the guy who's the best athlete or who has the best arm strength out there and you just rep him over and over, but he doesn't understand the offense, you're really setting everyone back and you're not allowing the group to reach its potential or that player. And so on his board, he says what he wrote is knowledge equals reps and that, in a nutshell, is why Braden Locke is your number two quarterback. Now, he's been able to execute it. It comes down to, do you understand what Longo was asking you to do? And then you co can you go out and take that knowledge and translate it to the field? But Locke clearly has been able to do that. Um, there's a couple of reasons why. First of all, his study habits are incredible, based on everybody who talks about him, Longo included. Cade Iacomelli called him a genius in that area, that you can basically ask him anything. Braden is so that's one aspect of it and and that has given him a tremendous advantage but so is the fact that he is coming from an air raid offense at Mississippi State that was run by Mike Leach and so that makes the transition a little bit easier and Longo also said when Locke was in high school when he was just tearing up uh Texas high school football they did a lot of the same things that they they're doing now in terms of the RPO looks and that was one area where Braden was perhaps ahead of Tanner starting spring ball off. Now Tanner's certainly caught up very quickly and demonstrated he knows everything, but those are a few of the reasons that Braden is the number two quarterback and he's been able to make plays. Um, I think he's got a good arm and Longo said the first couple practices maybe were a little bit of a challenge, but he had steadily been become the most consistent quarterback that they had. So for a one-two combination, this is pretty darn good for Wisconsin. I do think it's interesting, though, that, and I know we'll get into this, but 
when you had these three transfers come in, you said, okay, Tanner Mordecai is a six-year senior. This is his team this year. The other two are retro freshmen, Nick Evers, the Oklahoma transfer, and Locke, obviously. And these are the guys who are going to duke it out to be the future quarterback of Wisconsin, not even in the same ballpark. Nick Evers is still trying to learn, but if you want an idea of how far away it appears that he is during Thursday's practice, he did not take a single rep either in skeleton drills or in 11-on-11 team. When they had the third-team offense, it was Marshall Howe. Miles Burkett got a handful of snaps. And Longo even said, and he he prefaced it by saying, if it were today, but his third-team quarterback would be Marshall Howe. And I think that's a a name that I I did not have that on my bingo card as who the third-team quarterback would be, the walk-on who had two FCS offers out of prep school in Connecticut. But his knowledge of the offense has really stood out. Um, so those were some of the nuggets that we learned this week about quarterback. And it's not surprising based on what we saw in the first two weeks, but it's an area that Evers understands he has to get a lot better at. Yeah. It's, it's obviously been a little bit of a struggle so far for Evers. And we got, you know, he was part of that conversation on, on Wednesday as well. And I think the thing that stood out most about it for, for me, when he was talking was, uh, him admitting that maybe while we, we hear about Braden Locke and how much time he has spent, learning and being in the room uh, upstairs and learning the offense and, and Tanner Mordecai the same way and the knowledge aspect of it. He admitted that maybe that he didn't uh, put enough time in, in getting, getting ready for spring. You have to respect somebody who's honest about themselves, willing to look in the mirror. And not only that, but say it publicly in front of us, he addressed, he said, first he talked about his slow start and he, he felt he was coming along, but he was asked what went into the slow start. And he talked about the, the transition from Oklahoma to Wisconsin, first of all, going from school to school, moving further away from home, trying to understand the terminologies. And then he said, but I'm not going to use that as an excuse. I need to be better. I should have prepared a little bit harder for the spring. I'm working through those mistakes and I feel like I've been in a better spot recently than I have in the past. So that's him acknowledging that uh, it's one thing, obviously, to have people go crazy when you tweet out that you're going to transfer and go to Wisconsin and here's this former four-star quarterback, but you've got to put in the work. And it's not that he doesn't work hard because he talked about how important it is for him to, to hone his craft, but everybody learns at a different rate and everybody understands. And Longo even mentioned when he was at Ole Miss that he had a quarterback that had all the tools, but could not understand the offense. And so other players who were really good um, were able to play instead. Matt Corral, Shea Patterson. Um, And he said, if you don't know what I expect you to do, you are not going to be on the field. And he certainly backed up those words based on what we're seeing with Evers. He's just got to be able to learn. And the thing is, and Evers said, that is the missing piece for me because I asked him if if him having the athleticism, athleticism that he does and the arm strength will be beneficial to him sometime down the road. And he said, those are, but the missing piece is, is understanding the playbook and everything that goes into it. It feels like he has the biggest opportunity for growth among those other three guys. I mean, that's not a a stretch by any means. It's sort of like, when is it going to happen? And when it does, I I think he will clearly be the third guy, but uh, there is just so much ground for him to make up, not only to challenge Braden Locke, which granted he's got four years potentially, if he uh, chooses to be here to try to do that, but 
to even get into the conversation and legitimately be the number three quarterback this season. Yeah, it's an uphill battle for sure, but there is no doubt that he has the most arm talent and athleticism of anybody on that, on that, uh, in that yes, room. Absolutely. Like even, even Mordecai, like a Mordecai can make all the throws and he's athletic, but Nick covers is a different, at a different level. Um, so the hope I think everybody for everybody is, is he can figure it out. And he, and it's still so early. Like he's only been here for what? Three and a half months so far. Like he came in early January, late December, early January. So it's, he's got time. He's got time. And yeah, um, it, I don't want to make too much of it, you know, nine practices of spring and deciding on a guy's career at this point. So, right. Um, and I, I, so I want people to understand that's not what we're doing here. Yeah. And that was the point that I wanted to make. I'm, I'm not sitting here trying to denigrate a kid who's working his ass off to be really good. If anything, to me, it shows how hard it is to be exceptional as a quarterback at this level and it speaks to what Tanner and Braden Locke in particular have been able to do because not everybody can come in and do that. It doesn't always come together uh, that quickly. But Nick has a lot of time. I, I do think that he'll be able to get there. It just takes some time. It's totally different from what he's done before. And that's another thing that's different. Like he didn't run the type of offense that Braden Locke ran in high school or college before he got to Wisconsin. So it just... Longo said too, this is like naturally the best fit for Brayden. It, it kind of all came together. And that was a big reason why Brayden even decided to transfer because initially he said he, he didn't want to leave Mississippi state. Now, uh, Mike Leach obviously unfortunately passed away and there was a coaching transition and things were different, but this was literally the perfect spot in college football for someone like Brayden. And for Nick, it just takes a little bit more time. Yeah. I mean, Brayden nearly committed to Longo when he was at North Carolina. Yes. And then Drake May went there and obviously that changed things. So yes, this has been a, a perfect spot for, for Braden. And he loves like, just absolutely loves consuming football. Uh, remember the story that you told about his time when he came here yeah. on his visit, right? Like him and Longo missing a bus back to, was it back to the hotel or back to the air, wh wherever it was like sitting and just talking ball for so long. Yeah, when it, when he was on his visit, and uh, they knew each other obviously very well from the recruiting process, but I think it was a meeting. It was supposed to end around 3.30 with Longo because they were supposed to get back to their hotel so they would have enough time to get on a bus and go to dinner. And they were like an hour and a half late to get back to the hotel. And I think it was that they barely made the bus to get to dinner. But then after dinner, they met back at the hotel and they're just sitting there chatting away for hours, drawing up plays on napkins. It's If Brandon Locke doesn't become a football coach, coach somewhere down the line. I'll, I'll be <laughs> stunned. Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> that's just what it feels like. Um, and I'm interested to see how he's able to progress. And, you know, I don't want to look ahead beyond 2023 because it's so exciting. But I think if you're a Wisconsin fan, you've got to feel pretty good about what the future could hold with someone like Braden being able to do the things he's done this early. Yeah. Braden. And obviously with, with Mabry Metower coming in next year, it, yes. it feels good. It, it feels if you're, yes, if you're a fan, and you've gone through some of what you've gone through quarterback wise at Wisconsin over the years, it doesn't guarantee you anything just like Graham Mertz being the highest, highest rated recruit ever to come to Wisconsin at quarterback. Um, it, it doesn't mean anything, but it gives you, it, it certainly is exciting because of the, the coach that is going to be uh, overseeing him and the success he's had everywhere he's been uh, with, with quarterbacks. So yes. Um, all right, let's get into 
the recruiting uh, aspect of the show. Uh, Landon Gauthier becomes the sixth commit in the class of 2024 for Wisconsin, the second defensive commit, the third in-state commit. Now, he was in Madison on Tuesday for another visit. Not the not the first time he's visited. I think he visited, what did you, was it three times for games this past year? And then obviously came to spring ball on Tuesday. But what made him choose Wisconsin? He grew up with the Badgers, but it wasn't necessarily just a slam dunk right away. Yeah, his recruitment was interesting. He did go to three game day visits last year, but he did not have a scholarship offer under the previous staff. And I think he eventually, I would say he eventually would have earned one from that staff, but there's obviously an evaluation process that goes into it. He finally got the offer when he came up in January for junior day with this new staff. And the wrinkle here is Stanford was very interested in him because this is a kid who's got a 3.91 grade point average. And I think it's a unique spot because now Stanford's got these coaches who were at Wisconsin. So Bobby April, who was the outside linebackers coach here, Mark D'Onofrio, who's the inside backers coach. Now they're at Stanford, April, obviously running the defense. They offered Gauthier a scholarship in February and he and his family went out there last month. And so when I asked Landon um, on Wednesday, how close this decision was, He said he was split 50-50 going into the practice on Tuesday about what he should do. And the reason that he went to that practice, it wasn't to really learn anything new about the football program. As an in-state kid from the Green Bay area, goes to Bayport, knew a lot about the football program, but he wanted to meet with a representative of the business school, learn more about academic support for student athletes, and then potential networking opportunities after graduation. So he met with um, somebody from the W Club. And the thing that the thing that convinced him to go, which I think is kind of fascinating, is at the end of the day, he and his parents had a meeting with Muma Jong Mehta. Um, Landon wants to go into the business school. Muma's in the business school. And Muma is brilliant. If, if you, Obviously, we both talked to him, but he was a two-time academic all-state selection in Illinois. He turned down eight Ivy League football opportunities, and he just had an honest conversation with them about his reasons for coming to Wisconsin, the school's academic reputation, the importance of being near family. And Landon walked out of that meeting, went right into Luke Fickle's office and committed to Wisconsin. And nobody knew he was going to do that. His dad said, I would have bet the farm that we were going to leave that day. And he still would not have made up his mind. So I thought those were all interesting points. And what Landon told me is it showed that he can go to Wisconsin, which is the in-state school, a place he's wanted to go to. And he can still have all the academic opportunities that he wanted at Stanford. He could still have all those networking opportunities He can go to the business school, but he can be two and a half hours from home and play for the school that he grew up watching. So that's what brought it all together for Landon. And I think you're seeing this staff obviously make a a concerted effort to keep the best players in the state. Tight end Rob Booker, offensive lineman Derek Jensen. Those are the other two in-state guys that have committed already. And obviously Wisconsin's still pursuing a handful of guys in the 2024 class. But I think they're doing a really good job. And and this is a, a good pickup for Wisconsin. You want people who want to be here. And he wanted to feel wanted. And obviously this new staff did it because he said he came to his junior day visit and the energy was 10 times more. That's what he said. And then recruiting and the coaches, they were a lot more enthusiastic about me being there. That's what he said. So um, that's how Wisconsin's got six known commits. And I say known because uh feels like there's potentially at least one floating out there based on a Phil Longo tweet recently, but I guess we'll all have to find out down the road who that is. Yes. Um, so w- with Gauth here, you, you talked about, Mumajong Meta. Do you think that there's a guy that thinks about his answers more on this <laughs> team than Muma? 
No. He takes a lot of time before he responds. Uh, he does. And they're always thoughtful answers. Very There's, thoughtful. It's, it's, it's not a lot of BS. It's just... Yeah thinking about it before you actually answer the question where a lot of guys are just, there's, there's not a whole lot of thought being put into it. Cause it's, it's us asking the question, like who cares? Right. <laughs> but, um, he, he always does. And like, sometimes he'll have you ask the question again, just in case, like just to make sure he heard it correctly mm-hmm. before he makes. So, yeah, I mean that he's a great guy to talk to. If you're looking for, um, if, if the academic aspect of being at Wisconsin is that important to you, he's a perfect person to talk to. Yeah, I mean, I think I even told you this maybe three or four years ago. I remember talking to Muma for one of the profiles I wrote when the guys are committed to Wisconsin. And I remember thinking then, this is the most, one of the most eloquent high school speakers I've ever heard. Um, obviously, you can understand why. It comes from, a, <laughs> comes from a great background. Could have gone to basically every Ivy League school. But um, yeah, you see that every time we have the opportunity to talk to him. And he's making plays on the field, too somebody we haven't maybe talked about a ton, but defensively I think he's in for a, a really big season. So Wisconsin does have, well, uh, what was it? Three of the top eight in the, in the composite rankings so far here in the state uh, with Rob Booker, Rob Booker's number four, Derek Jensen's number five and Galthier's number eight. They've offered obviously the three guys at the top and Donovan Harbor, Nathan Roy and Corey Smith as good as they've been to this point. And I know it's debatable how they feel about those guys. That's just because not just because what the rankings are like, if we all care about the rankings, because that's what we can see, right? We don't know exactly how Wisconsin feels about those guys, but do you think this first class is going to be defined by getting those three? It shouldn't. Um, I think people, you know, people understandably put a lot of stock in. You cannot lose the best players from the state. And what does it mean if you do? And we look at the couple classes ago when uh, maybe it was, yeah. That was 22. Classes. Yeah, 22. Um, you know, obviously Carson Hinsman, Billy Shrouth, those guys left. Jerry Cross went to Penn State, although he was never really ever going to come to Wisconsin. And you say, oh, God, what a disaster. I don't know. With the Corey Smith and Donovan Harbor, and I did go down there, which we talked about a, a couple months ago. Um I know their high school coaches would love to see them at Wisconsin, but they're very talented. And I think sometimes, and we see this on the basketball side, it's like, if this kid wasn't from Wisconsin, obviously he's extremely talented, but would you, would you go after him in the way that you're going after him? Um, That's not to knock those two guys. I just, I don't know. I'm not sure what the fit is like uh, on both ends there, but Nathan Roy, I think very much feels like he's in play. He's been up here several times. If you, I don't know if you don't get any of those three, I think people would certainly feel disappointed, but um, they're doing such a good job that even if they don't, I have no doubt that they're going to continue to lock down the best players and find people who are the right fit. Um, So it's a really, it's a really difficult conversation to have because I just, I'm not sure where the interest level is on both sides in terms of the Smith Harbor situation. They're obviously very talented, um, but I don't want to say that it would be, you know, a failure in this class if they don't get them because my God, they, you know, two of the first three commits they got were four-star guys. You get a four-star quarterback, a four-star tight end. That does not happen often. And obviously they're not done yet. It doesn't happen often, but I can guarantee you if this was Paul Chris stuff. Yes. And he'd be hammered in the state and they didn't get those three guys, they would be killed. And I don't know why we should treat fickle and company any different. Well, I think the difference, I think I'm just struggling a little bit on the with Smith and Harbor just because yeah. I, I, 
I don't think every case is equal, if that makes okay. sense. Yeah, no, it definitely uh, does. Like, I, I just, I'm not sure about how e both sides kind of feel about each other, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, no, it does. You know? I do. Yep, I got you. Again, people expect those guys to stay in state. And if they go out yes. go out of state, like whether whether we think it's a fit, or I should say whether they think it's a, a fit, whether both sides think it's a fit, they're from Wisconsin. There's Wisconsin's the only school in this state that's yes. uh, a division one school in the state. They should get every top kid, but if it's not a fit, it's not a fit. Um, but it just, we'll let it play out. We'll let it play out and we'll see what happens. And if, if they end up here, they end up here. If they end up somewhere else, they end up somewhere else. But I do think people will look at that and say, gosh, they lost two of the top three kids in the state. What happened yeah, there? Why, 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 why does, you know, so I think I think that is going to be a question, whether it's fair or not, or whether you want to look into it further or not. It, it's going to be a question, and I it hasn't other, happened yet. So I don't even know why we're even talking about it yet. But it, well, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. I think the other question to ask is, well, who would Wisconsin get if they don't get them? I mean, you know, Wisconsin appears to be at least at running back in a decent spot for Darian Dupree. Jaden Matthews, a kid from Arizona, was just here. Um, I'll have a story running on Monday talking to some of the guys who were recently here, and he was one of them, and he had a lot of good things to say about Wisconsin, but I think if you're a fan, you'd feel good about having those guys, but there's a lot that goes into all of this. And hopefully we can have a, a more uh, in-depth conversation on this in December when we see what the class actually looks like. But I do think they're in, they're in a great spot very early They're They've got six commits and there's only about 20 or so schools that have that many commits this early on. And um, there's a long way to go, obviously. Long way to go. And, when we talked to the recruiting guys a few weeks ago, you heard Max Steinecker say, at the end of the day, the 2024 class, you're going to look up at the end when it, when it all comes together, you're going to be like, gosh, that's a really darn good class. And we'll have to see how that comes together. I, I certainly not going to doubt them. I'm just, I, and I, again, I understand what you're saying in terms of a fit for those, you know, Corey Smith and Donovan Harper. I get, I get what you're saying. I, I just get the feeling that, there's going to be an outside perception that it's not going to view it that same way. Yeah. Um, they're Wisconsin kids. They should be at Wisconsin. If they're not at Wisconsin, well, that's a failure on the staff's part. I don't view it that way, but I think especially in talking to these guys, not just Max and Pat, but also with Casey, like I kind of understand a little bit how they're viewing these things uh, better than I did with the previous staff, but we'll see. We'll see. That's uh, that's to be determined for uh, the class of 2024. Um, and uh, we'll see how it plays out. Jesse, thank you very much. Uh, we'll catch back up uh, over the weekend, and uh, we'll have uh, a new episode breaking down what we see on Saturday coming up on uh, Sunday or probably Monday morning. But I'll be back tomorrow. We'll have uh, a little bit of Q&A episode like we normally do on Fridays. But, uh, yeah, thanks, Jesse. Thanks, Zach. All right, there he is. Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp.